Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I'd like to thank our listeners for listening to the podcast. I looked at one site, and we've had over 5 million downloads, and most of these episodes, according to SoundCloud, have twenty to 30,000 listeners after about a month or two. So you, the listeners that are listening and sharing with others, but the real guests are the heroes that step forward and and share their stories. And I'm just honored to be a platform. As you know, we don't take donations and it's just all a joint labor of love. You can leave a review at the, for the podcast on iTunes. You can Google how to do that. That helps me just to see what you're writing about the podcast and connects others. But now we'll shift to introduce our guest. My guest is my friend, Bonnie Young, a licensed marriage and family therapist that's written a new book. She's here in our home, and welcome to the podcast, Bonnie. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Let me um, let me read you the name of the book, and I'll read you a forward about the book and maybe some chapters and a little bit about Bonnie, um, just as a way of introduction. The name of the book, and this is, it's called Sex Education, Letters from a Latter-day Saint Therapist to a Younger Self. And as I mentioned, it's by Bonnie Young, a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, Bonnie um, got an undergraduate degree and a master's degree from Brigham Young University. She's currently working on her PhD in marriage and family therapy. So someday we will know her as Dr. Bonnie Young. Um, As I may mention, she's married um, to her husband, Sam, and they have two kids and make their home in the Utah State area where she's working on her PhD. Um, Bonnie and her husband, Sam, are co-owners of Azure Consulting. A-Z-U-R-E consulting.com. We'll link to that in the show, show notes. Bonnie herself is not accepting new clients, but um, the services. So if you're looking for some of the services that is, is provided. Um, this book is published by our friends at um, By Common Consent. It's a book supportive of the Latter-day Saint faith. Um, let me just, I like a couple of these um, I guess these are forwards or um, endorsements. This is by Dr. Dr. Jennifer Findlayson Fife. Through approachable, warm-hearted letters, Bonnie guides young women to become agents in their selves and relationship. As the author explores relatable anxieties, readers can address the uncertainties they may feel in fully accepting their God-given sexuality. And Tammy Hill, who's been on the podcast also, um, wrote this, I appreciate Bonnie sharing so candidly her perspectives and experiences with sexuality. This book is a must read for adolescents who are navigating their own maturation process. I think Bonnie will help us understand it's not only for adolescents, but it's for us parents. I wanted to read the forward, part of the forward. Well, here's a part of the forward I just came across. It's written to my mother and to the mothers that came before her to my daughters and the daughters that will follow, and to to my 12-year-old self and the 12-year-old girls and all of us. And um, I'm taking too much time because I I want Bonnie to talk about her book, but this is the first chapter is Can We Talk? And it's age 10. It's Bonnie, you know, now with the experiences she's had talking to her age 10-year-old self. And chapter 2 is age 12. And chapter 13, chapter 3 is age 13. Chapter 12 is... I'm age 28. So this is, I love this part about the book. Now the editor is um, Bonnie's husband, Sam. And I like what he's written a terrific, um, a note from the editor. That's what we're calling it. Sex is a tricky thing to write about within the Latter-day Saint community because we consider it to be very sacred. Bonnie and I took great care to make this book a relevant, respectful, and faith-promoting resource. Although not written for children, rest assured there is nothing in this book that would be hurt a child if they happened upon it. Reverence, respect, and faith, however, can and should exist together with an accurate description of anatomy and a physiological physiological and appreciation for God's given sexual capacity and the denunciation of unhealthy perspectives and attitudes. Then he goes on to write, lastly, I want to acknowledge that this book is written by a woman to a woman, and I expect more women will read it than men. But I will attest that any man who reads these pages will become a better friend to all women 
a stronger father to his daughters, a more empathetic lover to his wife. I've become all of these because of Bonnie's book. And so I've talked now for five minutes, which is more than I like to talk in introduction, but I want to, I've read several chapters book. I'm the man that your husband's talking about, and (laughs) I'm in my sixties. I wish I'd read this book earlier as we were raising our six kids. I wish I'd probably read it at 10. Um, as a younger man, even though you've written it to women, because when we know better, we do better. So I'm just really honored to have Bonnie on the podcast. And um, I'll kind of turn it to you to talk wherever you want to start, Bonnie. Thank you, Richard. Um, Thank you for that nice introduction. Um, And I will just second what my husband said, and and I guess what you said. So maybe I'm not seconding, maybe I'm thirding, adding another testimony that. a lot of the men that have read this book have just talked about how surprised they are by um, being able to get kind of a, a front row seat to the experience of a maturing young woman. Um, and it's really kind of helped them develop more empathy and see how um bring more of an awareness to how their actions and reactions to women can really uh, change a woman's experience. So um, I, even though men aren't my main audience for this book, I really do hope that men will feel encouraged to read it and to um, apply some of the things that they learn, um, whatever stage they're in. Um, But maybe I'll start out by telling a little bit of my story, if that's all right. Please. So, um, like Richard said, I'm a I'm a marriage and family therapist. I've worked with clients with sexual issues quite a bit, um, and that was one part of the reason I was motivated to write this book. But I would say even more than clients who I love working with and care deeply about, um, this book was kind of a an act of healing for myself. So I was raised in some ways, very traditionally, you know, in, in the church, in other ways, not, I think my parents, um, when I compare my experience to a lot of other Latter-day Saint peers, I think, wow, like my parents, um, I'm just very grateful for how they raised me. Um, when it comes to sexuality, my parents did an incredible job of protecting me. And I think that that came from their own experiences um, of learning how important it is to protect children, um, adolescents, emerging adults, um, to protect them from sexual harm from other people, um, like from predators or also in relationships. So I'm very grateful for that protection. I knew that my parents cared about me and didn't want me to be hurt in that way. Um, And I think for my parents, for them, the law of chastity was something that could, you know, how it was being taught at that time, you know, in the nineties, um, there was in, in how it was being taught. I think my parents just found so much wisdom because their main focus, I think was to protect me. Um, but I think that that emphasis on protection, um, I think it affected me in a unique way. Um, A little bit more context about, you know, young Bonnie is I struggled with OCD and Uh um, took a lot of things very literally, was very, very careful about a lot of things, especially things concerning religion. Like I remember really kind of agonizing before I was baptized, um, if I was worthy and I, I think, you know, I've talked to other people about, you know, do you wonder if you're worthy before you, you know, I think that's a normal question, but for me, like it was a very agonizing experience to wonder if I was worthy, if I had done something to kind of disqualify myself. I was really concerned about being good and following rules exactly and, um, or with exactness and being really clean. So when I was hearing these messages about sexuality, um, I, my experience was a lot of fear around sexuality, right? So my parents are trying to protect me. That inspires fear. <laughs> so now I, it's not only, sex is not only scary because someone could hurt me with it, but also um, any, anything about me that could be sexual also 
I experienced that as being very evil, very yucky, filthy. And so during my adolescence and um, like young adult years, sex was something that, I mean, even if it was just being mentioned was like, I do not want to go there at all, you know, for a multitude of reasons. Um, and I think that that reactivity to sex really um, did not set a very healthy foundation for me to kind of naturally mature into my own sexuality. And so um, once I started dating and, um, you know, having more romantic experiences, there was just a lot that I had to learn, a lot that I had no idea <laughs> about as far as like setting boundaries in, um, in my dating relationships or even how my body, like what was happening with my body. Um, and um, one, one thing that is kind of um, trademark of me is like, I tend, like when there's an uncomfortable subject or like something that's kind of unknown or maybe taboo, I, I like to like dive into those subjects. That's cool. <laughs> so, uh, that didn't really emerge yet fully with, with sexuality, at least until college age. But I started diving into um, a lot of uh, research around sexuality during college years, especially around pornography. I think initially that was inspired by my fear like, this is a really scary thing and I want to protect myself about it. And um, I kind of look back at, you know, 20-year-old Bonnie, 23-year-old Bonnie and think like, oh, she was, you know, on a mission to like solve the world. And I, I have grace for that 23-year-old Bonnie, but there, it, maybe what I'm trying to say is there's quite a bit of fear, like inspiring that. Um, what really surprised me was when I finally... Um, you know, was dating my Sam, my husband, um, how naturally we could talk about sex and sexuality. Um, it just felt, I think it was just how safe I felt with him and um, how educated he was. Well, how educated he was. How do I say that? We both thought we were educated <laughs> at that point because we've been doing research and, um, you know, he wrote this series of articles about pornography use for the daily universe. Is that what it's called? FBI. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, he liked, it was like this really cool series and, um, and I was doing all this research. I was like hosting these, like how to talk about pornography when you're dating, like events. Um, so I think both of us felt comfortable talking about sexuality. So when we got married um, and all of a sudden what we thought would just be this really natural, easy relationship, <laughs> when it wasn't that way, it was really shocking. And for both of us, it was really disappointing. And I'm not saying like we were disappointed in each other. It def I did, never got that sense from my husband. It was more like we were disappointed with how unprepared we felt um, and surprised because we had thought that we were both pretty prepared. And so anyway, we sat across from each other one night and we were like, we gotta, we gotta make something for, <laughs> for people in our shoes. Like um, we, there needs to be more resources out there. So we started on this project together. We didn't know if it was going to be a blog or a you know, a website type thing. Um, eventually it turned into a book. And then as we worked on it more, it became apparent that this needed to be a book for women. And so I took like the lead authorship role and Sam was the, took on an editorial role. And, um, and another note about this book is it took like seven or eight years to write. Wow. <laughs> it's been a long time in coming and and I'm really grateful actually that it took that long because I think that my process of learning and growing sexually is reflected in, in the letters. So that's like the very detailed backstory to like why we wrote this book. Um, it's brave yeah. of you just to share what you just shared on the podcast. You're pretty vulnerable and brave and real and come from a position of strength to talk like that. And I think our listeners appreciate that and it brings credibility to that what you've written is coming from your own lived experience. And you, and I, I thought it was pretty vulnerable just to say you had all this experience. And I think a lot of LDS couples probably feel the same way. Once they get married, they recognize they haven't had the ex training that they wish they'd had. And 
for you to talk about that openly with each other. I think a lot of couples don't even talk about it. Yeah. And then to talk about it on a podcast and write a book, it's really needed what you're doing. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just, um, I am such a believer in the healing power of community and empathy. And if me sharing that, like, it took a long time for us to figure out some stuff with sex, if that can help one person, like it's worth it. And, and I also think one reason I feel um, comfortable sharing this about my experience is because I know how common it is. Yeah. Like I've sat across from so many women in my, in my counseling and who are sharing experiences. And, and as a therapist, you know, it's, it, it's not my job to make the session about me. So I normally don't say this in session, <laughs> but so many times when I'm sitting across a client and they're telling me about their experience, I'm like, me too. Like, I am so with you. And so I think I know how common this is. Um, so I, I'm grateful for people who have shared their stories with me. Thank you. Yeah. Keep sharing. I love where you talked about fear and the protection and that built up fear and your OCD and that kind of, you know, and your work as a teenager to stay clean and stay away and the way it was sort of, you know, and then you're, this is just helpful to hear. I think a lot of people feel that way as teenagers. Yeah, I was just, I was, I just wanted to be so good. I just wanted to be so good. And I think my understanding of sexuality at that point, you know, I, I hear a lot of horror stories of, you know, um, young women's lessons and, um, and I, I'm not denying that those happen. I hear often. Um, I feel really lucky though. Like I had really positive, like I remember one of my young women's leaders giving the most beautiful lesson about chastity, the law of chastity. Um, there was no fear. She talked about it as being fun. Like I thought she had a lot of courage share that with a group of teenage girls, you know, I was really grateful for her um, and her sharing that. But even with those really positive experiences, I think I just, I just wanted to stay so far away from sexuality as possible um, so that I could be obedient. So I could follow God and, um, and focus on the things that I felt like I was supposed to be focusing on it at that point of my life. And I think in some ways, yeah, yeah, that really blessed me. It really protected me against getting into situations that probably would have complicated my life. But I also think it created like this really fragmented experience of um, not recognizing myself as sexual or that, or that the fact of being sexual is good. Um, I think for me, it felt like I couldn't really discern between like, or maybe I didn't understand like what made sex bad or good. It was just all bad. It was all dirty. And so, you know, even people in marriage having sexual relationships, I even men mentally, I just like, I don't think I even considered that because it was just all bad. And, and then that combined with like my OCD, um, I think complicated things because um, one of the, one of the forms of OCD, one of the obsessions that I would have was really um, sexually intrusive thoughts that made me extremely uncomfortable that, you know, had I been inviting those thoughts voluntarily, I think, well, I wasn't, <laughs> but I think it was confusing for me because I didn't know that I wasn't. Anyway, all, all of this to say it was kind of jumbled and messy. And I, I think I just wish I would have been told number one, I think I wish I would have been told or taught about the difference between intrusive thoughts versus, or just like normal sexual thoughts, which are very normal, right? Um, and then also like dwelling or like fantasizing, like choosing. I, I think I wish I would have understood that because for me, they were all clumped together and, and that felt really scary to me. I think another thing I wish I would have understood is like, that the world's understanding or like how the world portrays sex, there is so much that is sinful in that. Like uncommitted hookup manipulative sex. Like that doesn't, that doesn't inspire goodness. That doesn't bring us closer to who we truly are and to who God is when we're not being congruent with our sexual uh, behavior and, um, and the amount of commitment in a relationship. Like 
but I, I think for me, again, it was so jumbled. It was, well, hookup sex and all sex is just like dirty. So I'm, I'm just not going to go there. And I, now I, it's a little bit more clear for me. And I say a little bit, cause I still have so far to go, <laughs> but, um, that like sex, sex itself is so good. And it isn't, it isn't sex that makes something bad. Rather it's, um, what we're doing with sex that can either make sex produce goodness or evil. And, um, and maybe that's kind of a, a mature way to think about it. I don't think I'd be able to teach, you know, a 10 year old that, but, um, but I think that that's something I, I really hope to teach my own children. And I hope it's something that comes across in the book is kind of really emphasizing the goodness of sex, the goodness of our bodies, um, how divine the design of our bodies are and, um, and the potential, how good it is that we can experience pleasure, that that's something that God wants for us. I love that. Um, when I want you, um, I love the thoughts. You use some vocabulary. I hope our listeners picked up on intrusive thoughts. There's no sin in intrusive thoughts. And yes. those are going to be normal. And if you've got OCD, you're going to feel maybe more worse about those than if you don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and just normal thoughts that come into your mind because we're sexual beings. And I wish we taught that better in our faith because I think there's so much shame then that comes with normal thoughts and, and intrusive thoughts. And you pivoted there and talked about if you sort of seek out or, um, you know, there's a, a point of agency there that may be different for everybody. Mm. But I think splitting that can help people not feel shame for normal thoughts or even intrusive thoughts, maybe things that are like, I really don't want to do that. Um, Why would that thought ever come in my mind? But I love the way you've written this to specific ages because listeners, I think Bonnie could have just written the 20 things that we should do, but this space is sort of age specific. So talk about, you've got specific ages for each each letter. And these are letters, again, written Bonnie to her younger self, um, which I love the format. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I wanted this book to be really, sorry, I'm writing this to my younger self and knowing the younger self that I've just described, (laughs) right? If I gave my younger self a book about sex, she would probably like put it deep, deep in a cupboard somewhere and like never look at it. So I, I wanted this book to be very unthreatening. I wanted it to be very, um, I wanted it to feel gentle and nurturing. And, um, and so I, I wrote it in, in a very, I'd say accessible way. So age 10 is when I first start writing the letters and, you know, what was going on for Bonnie at age 10, you know, my body was starting to change a little bit. Like I knew that puberty was coming. I really didn't want it to. I had had some experiences, um, you know, in my, in my home learning about the law of chastity, like in our family gospel discussions that I had just like felt so uncomfortable during. And, um, and so that, that first letter, letter to age 10, Bonnie, um, is just focused on like, kind of breaking the ice. Like, Hey, can we talk about this? Um, it's not bad to talk about this. You're probably going to feel uncomfortable talking about that, but that's okay. Most people feel uncomfortable about it. So kind of like normalizing, um, normalizing, having conversations about sexuality and also reassuring myself that it's good to talk about this. Like we're not doing anything wrong. We're not doing anything secretive or naughty by talking about this. This is like, this is a divine conversation that we can have. Um, then age 12 is, um, when I start talking about like the goodness of sex. So diving a little bit deeper in. So, um, you know, in, in the first chapter, the first letter, it's, can we just talk about it? And then in the next chapter, it's, I, I actually really want to emphasize how good this is, right? Cause 12 year old Bonnie, she started middle school. She's hearing all sorts of things at school and it's, it's confusing. She just wants to avoid it. She's not exactly sure if, uh, you know, that avoidance has probably caused her to not really think about this very hard, (laughs) but still, even though she's not thinking about it, she's getting a sex education. True. (laughs) Um, and so, um, 
just really emphasizing the goodness. And then the next letter is, um, is titled the power pack. Um, it's about, um, you know, having my first period and the shame that I experienced around that and kind of speaking to that shame and providing education and encouragement and celebration of how wonderful it is to be a woman. Um, so I, I, I wanted to kind of have this letter feel incremental, not because I want parents to use this as a guide, like, okay, my child is 10. I'm now going to read them this 10 year. I don't think that that would work very well, actually. Um, it was, I wrote it in this way, um, because I believe that like, this is how healing works, like healing works step by step. And this, again, writing this book was kind of an act of healing for myself, or that's at least what I hoped <laughs> would come of it. Um, and so, yeah, I hope that in the letter format that readers will feel, um, very comfortable reading it, that it won't feel threatening. Um, it'll feel really accessible, but also not overwhelming. Like I'm going to give you all this information at once. I love that. Keep sharing. I love that you talked about having your first period, um, the shame you felt. I'm, you know, I'm a guy, so this is kind of theoretical. <laughs> but, and then how you talked, you've used words celebrated and becoming a woman. And this is a wonderful thing that hopefully women feel that way. I've never really thought about that, what it could feel like and how you felt and what it should feel like. So thank you for talking about that. Yeah. And that's back to your husband's point is it helps guys know, have a little more education so they could be more understanding and supportive. Yeah. One, one comment about that. Um, again, I think like how we language things, how, how we talk about sexuality, how we talk about our bodies really matters. Um, I, I had, I was like the biggest tomboy of all time. <laughs> I really was. Um, and I, and I loved. I loved not having, I loved that, um, I loved not having the pressures of maturing on me, if that makes sense. Like I loved that I didn't have to worry about relationships or boys liking me or me liking boys. And I loved that I didn't have to worry about my body being objectified. Like I, I have clear memories of feeling very sad when I would see women's bodies being objectified and feeling afraid, like, is that going to happen to me? When I, when my body changes, I did not want that. I didn't want to lose that. That just felt so sad and, um, like almost like, uh, I was afraid that I wouldn't, I wasn't going to be able to be Bonnie anymore. It would be like, I'm this object. Um, and so I felt a lot of like fear and loss when I had my first period. I was like, dang it, like this is, you know, it's painful. But also like this marks a, an era, <laughs> a new era for me that I, I wasn't like super excited to, to join in. And I wish like for my daughter and for other girls in, in my sphere of influence, I, I, I hope for them that becoming a woman um, in, you know, having your first period, I actually think is an amazing moment. Like here is a huge step into you becoming who you're going to be, uh, for the rest of your life. Like, I just think that there's so much grandeur and awe in, in the changes in a, especially in a woman's body, like women's bodies are just incredible. And, but I never really saw that be celebrated. I think what I saw being celebrated about women was what they looked like not necessarily what they could do or the power of their bodies. And I hope that that's something that, you know, something that changes. I, I think that when, when young men or other girls kind of make fun of periods or um, say, oh, they're so gross, you know, because there's blood involved. I mean, imagine how that makes someone who's going through that feel like, ooh, there's something yucky and gross about my body versus look at like, look at this amazing transformation that's happening to my body. Look at what my body's capable of. Look at like these cycles that are representative of like, you know, the cycles of the earth, the cycles that surround us. And isn't that beautiful? And, um, and then, and what this means for the future, like what this, 
can signify in the future. I, I, I think that, um, I really hope that that language changes around women's experiences. And, you know, I was, I was watching an episode of the chosen the other night. Um, the woman with the issue of blood, I love how they portrayed that. And, and I love that scripture story in general, but I, it just like really stuck out to me. You know, here's this woman who's menstruating. Well, she had an issue of blood. So she was more than menstruating, but she was, you know, considered dirty. I think a lot of like that cultural baggage, like is still with us of like a woman bleeding, being dirty or that being gross. Um, and I just love that Christ healed her that like, that she had an experience with Christ and what that might mean about how Christ feels about women's bodies. I don't know. I just, there was something there that just felt so powerful connected to menstruation and also, um, and I know again, like she wasn't menstruating, like most women menstruate, um, her experience was above and beyond that. But the fact that that, that story is included and I think that that matters, like out of all the stories that could have been written about Christ, like the authors of the New Testament chose to include that story. I just think there's so much power. I'm going on a tangent here. But <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a tangent we've never gone on this podcast <laughs> yeah, and, and I've never gone on my whole life and it's really helpful for me. Yeah, I'm going back and repenting for the things we said about women in high school as you're talking um, <clears throat> and better understanding the beauty of your first period. Yeah. And that it shouldn't be shameful and how blood can sometimes feel shameful and messy. And I can't use the same good vocabulary that you've used, but I thought of our heavenly parents and this is part of their divine plan. This thing that sometimes brings shame that our culture induces, I don't think it would come naturally. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, but that segment was just terrific. And the principles you taught in that segment apply to just sexuality in general. Mm -hmm. No shame. This is part of God's plan. This is a good thing. Um, and what it signifies for a woman. I thought that was just beautiful. Oh, thank you. So keep sharing. <laughs> um, let me think here. I'm just taking a peek at my notes. Another thing that we really hope um, with the book is to, um, and this idea kind of piggybacks, you know, on this idea of reframing, um, periods and menstruating. But, um, I think one, one reason why sex, um, the transition into having a sexual relationship with my husband was harder than it needed to be was because the sex education I was receiving was coming mostly from a male perspective. Meaning I think both Sam and I had this expectation that my body should kind of work like his, like my desire should kind of work like his, because I think there's kind of this collective notion that male sexuality is the standard. It is, it's the norm. So if a woman is not experiencing arousal or orgasm kind of in the same sequence or intensity <laughs> as he is like, there's something kind of wrong with her. And, and that's like a problem. And so she's the problem. And then, <laughs> and I really felt that I, again, Sam is like the sweetest man. If he were here, you would, you'd be able to sense that from him. Um, but I think I think I felt that like, what is wrong with me? And I, I think if I had had a sex education that was not so male centric, that was focused on, um, that didn't use male sexuality as the standard, I think I would have felt a lot of less shame. And I think I would have had a lot better of a time too, um, because I wouldn't have put so much pressure on myself to have had, you know, sexual arousal and responses like my husband. And so in, in, um, well, in all of the book, but especially in one chapter of the book, it's more near the end. I'm looking at what one it is. Um, okay. It's letter number nine. Um, it's called your unique sexuality. And, um, in that chapter, I just talk about, I try to really push against, um, that male centric narrative of what sex should be like, how sex should work, um, how sex starts 
you know, what the middle of it looks like, what the end of it looks like. Um, I really try to push against that, open up the definition of what sex is. Um, and I think that you also educate people on um, women's anatomy. Uh, Sam remembers, you know, he was reflecting about this the other day with me and he's like, I knew that women had a hole (laughs) down there. They had to get, they had to go to the bathroom and they had to get babies out. And he remembers like watching a, a video of a birth, I think in one of his science classes in high school, but that was the extent of what he knew <laughs> you know, during his adolescence. That's, that's honest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, I, and I think, um, you know, the reason I feel comfortable sharing that about his story is because I know that so many other people experience that. And um, so we, we talk in detail in, in letter number nine about women's anatomy. Um, we talk a lot about the clitoris and how, um, you know, most people's cultural understanding of what a clitoris is, is just like a little teeny tiny part of a vulva. But um, what new research has shown is the clitoris is actually like this huge internal structure that um, is very similar in structure to male anatomy. And just knowing these things, I think can really help people appreciate and, um, and serve female sexuality. So um, that's another thing we really hope to do with the book is make the male-centric story of sex a little bit less uh, front and center and and bring in a little bit more equal perspective. I think that's good. I think it's needed. I would guess you're right. Most of the education in the space is from male people and it's their lived experience. And so I think that's very hopeful and there's differences. And so I love that you just talk about it. Mm-hmm. When we know better, we do better. Yeah. I know this is a book I wish I could have read, you know, before I got married, you know, early marriage, continue to read because mm-hmm. I think it would help me and would have helped me. So thank you for writing about these tender topics. Keep sharing. Yeah, of course. No, I, um, we were just with some grandparent aged, um, individuals and, uh, the grandmother had read this, you know, one thing that is really encouraging about the book is I have had like so many different responses from so many different, um, groups, <laughs> right. I've, I've had an 85 year old man say that he loved it and he laughed while he read it and had, you know, such a positive experience with it. Um, I've had a friend say, I'm going to let my 12 year old daughter read the first few chapters. Like, I really want her to know these things. Um, my 14 year old son to read this. Like I want him to understand what a woman's experience is. And so, um, one really encouraging feedback is like, I, th- I think that this is an accessible book that any age group could really benefit from. And, um, and I hope, uh, you know, another, one thing that I, ha- one thing that I've experienced while reading other books about sexuality is I felt really discouraged when I read and I hear about like what other people have experienced or what they can experience. I, I compare myself to that. And, and then I get back into this headspace of like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I have that? Why isn't our sexual relationship there? Um, and I don't think that any of these authors intend that. But that's just my experience to be able to like read something and feel like, oh, I'm doing something wrong. And maybe that's just more of a reflection on my process than, you know, reading about sex in general. But one thing I really hope for with people reading this book is that they don't feel that way, that that it can feel encouraging, um, that it can feel healing, that people can uh, recognize things that they might want to work on healing or improving, but that it's not, you know, this book isn't out there to show you, this is what you could have. And this is how, um, you know, they can be so mind blowing, you know, cause I, I think sometimes when we put pressure on sexual experiences, it actually makes them worse. I, I think there's this paradox with our sexuality that it has to be, it, it needs, hold on. I want to use the right language around this. It is good when it is a priority and we can become more and experience more and grow more when it is a priority for us. But I think if, on the other hand, if it's, um, if we put a lot of pressure on sex, um, especially for women, it can kind of have the opposite effect, like, um, trying to, you know, forcing, uh, forcing arousal or trying to make something happen during sex 
tends to actually just make the opposite happen. And so I think we have to find this balance of making sex a priority, but then also allowing it to be good enough sometimes and not, not, you know, making it so it has to be this like, I don't know, pinnacle type experience every time. Um, I, I hope that, you know, readers can come away with the sense that sex can be a place to explore. It can be a place to learn, to connect, to have fun, to, to be creative, but, um, but should never feel like a place where we feel like we have to perform or, or fake or, um, or, you know, have to manipulate to get what we want. Um, that it should, yeah, that it can be really enriching experience when we make it a, a priority. I love that. Uh, keep sharing. I don't know if you want to talk about any more chapters or talk about it's more from its a female perspective or um, just anything else you want to continue to share. Hmm. Um. Maybe I could share just like really briefly from one of my favorite parts. Please. In the book. Um, so this is near the end. So the last. Oh, okay. Actually, I'm going to do something different. <laughs> this is a good format to change gears. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So in, in my second to last letter, I talk about uh, the, the title of the letter or chapter is Your Sexual Journey. And uh, this is a chapter where I talk about like, what about when sex doesn't happen like it did when you were in your 20s? You know, what about, um, you know, when, when I say in your 20s, I mean like the prime of your, you know, um, like before you get wrinkles and before maybe there's, you know, some trauma in your relationship or, you know, disability or sickness. So I talk about aging. Good. Yeah. Um, one thing that I, I really love that we included in the book was, um, that maturity brings the opportunity for sex to be, um, more focused on intimacy and less on function. And, um, that as couples age, normally that brings more maturity and, um, and as you mature, you can have a more mature style of lovemaking that's less focused on intercourse and just more on connection. And, um, and I really emphasize in this chapter, like spending more time on connection and intimacy will improve your sexual relationship more than intercourse or orgasm. Um, I love that you broadened it beyond just orgasm and intercourse and sexual intimacy is, I mean, that's helpful for me to see it as a broader term than just sex Yeah, and the way to connect in a relationship. So that's, that's very helpful. Yeah. It's really helpful for me too. Um, I, I talk about, um, and I, you know, I, this, this part of the book just feels so relevant for me because this is where I am. Like I'm in, I'm in baby, <laughs> I'm in the baby years, you know, my body is changing so much. Um, I can't stand the smell of my husband when I'm pregnant and I, I get so sick when I'm pregnant, like throw up every day. So, um, I, I have to work on my jealousy of women who say that they enjoy being pregnant because that's not my experience. But, um, Okay. So then, right. So I'm sick and my body's changing and I'm throwing up every day and then the baby's born and then I'm not sleeping and then I'm nursing and my body aches, you know, um, how I address, like, how do we, how do we navigate sex with how many changes there are <laughs> in our life? And, um, you know, I, I, I also talk a little bit about like infertility. So um, I, I don't know if I share this in the book, but I'll, I'll share it here. Um, so Sam and I, um, we, uh, waited a few years before, uh, after we were married to start trying. And, um, I think I 
thought that it would be a lot easier to get pregnant than it was. And it was really sad. It was like, it was really discouraging just to realize how little control we had over getting pregnant. You know, we could do everything right. And I remember um, we had to use some medication to help me ovulate. And, um, and then we had these windows where like, you know, the fertile window. And it happened that like every time we had like one of those fertile windows, we were like on vacation with family or we were like, you know, staying in a really small house with like lots of people. We're like, how do we make this work? <laughs> I mean, there's so much pressure. And, um, and one thing that I, I didn't, you know, I don't think I had considered this, but how much infertility can change our experience with sex? Um, you know, when there's so much pressure on, we have to make this work, um, that can really change our relationship with our sexuality because all of a sudden it kind of does beca- become about function. <laughs> like, I need you to impregnate me right now. <laughs> and this needs to happen quickly because, you know, there's other people in the house. Um, you know, when, when we were, you know, in those little fertile windows, um, stressful times. So um, I, I share this story and um, talk about it in the book again, just um, to normalize, like sex is going to look different at every stage of your life. And there's so much that we can, um, so much pressure that we put on ourselves for, uh, that normally doesn't help, but it's just so normal. It's so normal that things can be hard sometimes and um i love that segment bonnie and i love normalizing yeah just the scope of this and sometimes it's what you said and other times it's different and that's okay yeah yeah um another thing i feel really passionately about um i heard a story once of um you know a man who went to a a, um, what's it called? A bachelor party. Um, and this was an LDS bachelor's party, so it was tame, (laughs) but, um, the men, you know, started talking about like sex with, you know, the married men started talking about, um, you know, their sexual relationships with their wives. And, um, and the man who was telling me the story told me that, um, you know, it, it got brought up that like the wife would just do they used a term that I don't really feel comfortable sharing with, but basically that the wife would just be a vehicle for her husband to experience what he wanted. And then, and that's what sex was often for them was just her being a warm body, basically for him to be able to, and I'm, these are air quotes, meet his needs. And um, I think that having this thinking about sex as in, in the reference of like having needs, I have never, I have never seen that help someone. Um, what I do see as healthy and helpful is, I mean, I do think that we all have the need of feeling connected and feeling, um, a sense of belonging. Um, but, but what that man was describing that's not that's not connection that's like using someone else's body but again i think that for because the male centric view of sex is so common and so many men do understand women understand men as just having needs i think a lot of women meet men there to to meet their needs i think a lot of women get married thinking that you know my husband has needs and this is just what i'm going to do through our marriage and i think that that creates so much harm and resentment and, um, and that, and it's not, I don't think that that is what God intended sex to be. I think in its optimal expression, sex is about connection. It's about becoming, it's about, um, giving and serving. I do think, and that's not to say that there can't be times when we can pleasure our spouse and just let that be it right in like a very giving, loving way. But, um, I think when we're doing that, it's more from a frame of reference of like, um, I'm giving you, I, I love, I'm giving this to you. I love you. I want you to have this experience versus I'm checking a box to meet a need that you have so that you're not going to be grumpy. <laughs> and so, um, that's another thing that we address in the book and something I feel really passionately about. Um, because also, I mean, that's a sad experience for the woman, but also what man wants, I, I have never met with a man who wanted that kind of sexual relationship. 
um, most of the men that I work with, um, you know, when I'm doing sex therapy with couples, um, love the connection that they feel in sex when both partners are so, you know, are very present and embodied. And when there's this soulful connection happening, they love that. Most men I work with love pleasuring their wives. They get so much satisfaction out of that. Um, and so I think that men who do kind of use their wives as warm bodies, um, probably aren't, you know, loving that either. Um, and I have, again, I'm, I'm not trying to villainize anyone. I think that these, these patterns, these scripts exist. They've been transmitted generationally. We will collectively, we all have, have a lot of work to do to like get to a healthier place sexually. But, um, I think it's important to call that out as something that doesn't help relationships. <laughs> That's really harmful. It's a really good segment. You have this ability to talk about this tender topic and in a really wonderful, non-jarring way. It's one of your gifts. <laughs> and to give grace to non-generational patterns, we have to change. <laughs> yeah. Multi-generation patterns. I'm thinking of the bachelor parties and the culture of that and what you... <clears throat> And that, you know, our culture sometimes it says men are more sexual than women. Some of my guests have helped me understand maybe my own lived experience that that's wrong. Mm -hmm. And we need not to look at it that way. And even sometimes, you know, this, the things we talk to are young women and young women's are, are sort of the men are out of control. So it's your job to keep them in control. And mm -hmm. it's about your modesty because they're out of control. And I think those are some of the generational things that I'm seeing significant changes. Yeah. And, you know, women are not responsible for men's thoughts and behaviors. And yeah, because the sub, the sub message is that women aren't sexual, mm -hmm. <laughs> which you're helping us to understand and other um, authors. So I love that segment. And, um, and I wrote down in big letters, communication is so important. And sometimes you need to see a therapist to help you develop the, the skills to communicate because you yeah. recognize something's not right here. Yeah. Or it could be better, but you don't have the language or the tools in your own marriage. And so it's, I think it's a sign of strength if you reach out to a therapist and say, we have a common goal here as a couple mm -hmm. to do better in this space. And it's not because we're bad people or we just want to make our marriage even stronger. Yeah. And, and so I think it's a sign of great confidence when you reach out and talk to a therapist and develop tools through, through better communication, then improve that space. Yeah. So that's really needed work, I think, in our community. Yeah. And, and I like that you used the word work because it does take work. Like this is, um, to develop a, this kind of sexual relationship that I think most of us want, it takes work. It's hard. Like that has been my experience, <laughs> me and my husband, right? This is, this isn't something that just like happens naturally because the passion that we had at day one is like still, you know, like, I think we all wish that that was the case, you know, but I just think it does take work, but I think worthwhile things take work and sex is definitely not an exception to that. Talk about, and I want to make sure you have a couple more segments if you yeah. want to talk about, I'm thinking of parents. Yeah. Liking your content and wanting to do a better job um, with their kids. Would you, and they're probably, my guess is you'd probably love to have parents read the whole book. And then you kind of touched on how should you, you kind of mentioned you could have younger children read some of these chapters, but you, you may not want to give a 12 year old the whole book. Yeah. Any thoughts on just how a parent could navigate this? Would you want them to read it together? Would you give them just sections of the book to read and say, read this chapter and give it back to me? Any yeah. thoughts for parents that say, yeah, I'd love to have my kiddo read this book, but I probably don't want my 12-year-old to read the whole book yet. Yeah. Um, or so, maybe they do. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually think um, there's nothing in this book that would harm a 12-year-old. I think that there might be things that would go over their head, right? When I'm talking about like soulful connection, <laughs> you know, like true intimacy, a 12-year-old might not have like a a great idea of what that means, but I don't think that there's anything in here that would harm, you know, there's no, like the only diagrams that are included in the book are of like anatomy. Um, it's actually funny. I, there's a, there's a, a illustration of a vulva and it's an adult vulva. So there's pubic hair and my daughter who's four, almost five, she opened this the other day 
And I, and she, she asked my husband, she's like, what is that? And my husband was like, oh, it's a, it's a vulva. And she's like, no, it's not. It's a bird's nest. <laughs> that was just so funny. Right. Went over her head. Um, but um, no, there's nothing, there's nothing in this book that could harm a child. Um, my suggestion to parents. So um, parents are welcome to let their children read a, you know, a chapter. Um, I, I, I don't know if I would suggest that as parents first line though. Uh, the thing that I tell parents when they ask me, um, what, how can I best educate my children sexually is, you know, more than any resource or book or diagram or whatever that you give your children, you, who you are and, um, how you, how you feel about your own sexuality and sexuality in general, that will be the biggest that will be your greatest tool in teaching your children about sexuality. Um, you know, if, if your children can sense that you don't want to talk about it, you feel very uncomfortable, they might internalize like, oh, my mom or my dad thinks that this is bad. This is a bad subject. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it with me. This is uncomfortable. Um, so even if you give them a book that has great information, but you're doing it kind of in an avoidant way, <laughs> like read this book. I don't want to talk about it. I mean, that's the message that they're going to get. So I would say the best thing that you can do as a parent is to um, courageously work on your own relationship with your sexuality in a way that then can enable you to confidently share information with your children. You know, when, when they're curious at developmentally appropriate ages, this book is not meant to be like a parent's guide for how to teach your children about sex. I actually include some um, further readings in the back of the book that does, um, there's, a, there's a resource in there that I think is an amazing resource for just that. But this book is more about like healing and you doing the work to heal so that you can then be that person that your children would come to to ask questions about sexuality. That was very helpful. Yeah. I wrote down the word outsource because I think as parents, this can be uncomfortable. So we want to outsource it to the school <laughs> to do the maturation class. I assume that still goes on. It was during our day raising kids and yeah. outsource it to young men's or young women's or the bishop to teach your kids mm -hmm. the law of chastity. And I'm never going to have these conversations. And yeah, I'm going to take Bonnie Young's book and give it to my kiddo. And then, mm -hmm. but I think you make a really good point about the purpose of the book and the purpose of us as parents. And talking about our own experiences mm -hmm. and connecting with our kids that way. Yeah. And that may take some more skill and vulnerability and some, but I think that's a great suggestion. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, more, we've got time for one more segment. If there's yeah. one last segment you'd like to share with our listeners. I would. Um, so this kind of um, ties back to a comment you made about um, talking about young women or talking to young women that like men just can't control themselves yeah. and like you're kind of responsible for this. So that is something um, that I experienced. And again, going back to young Bonnie, she was, she was on a mission to make zero mistakes. <laughs> Didn't work out very well for me, but that was the goal. And, um, and so I took everything I was hearing at church, you know, so literally and, and seriously I didn't, I just didn't want, I just wanted to be good. I just wanted to be so good. And a lot of that was like tied up in purity, sexual purity. I wanted to be so pure. And, um, and I remember like, I was reading through a journal the other day. And um, I think when I was 16 or 17, I, I was in charge of teaching my young women, young women's class about modesty. And like, I went and interviewed like one of my friends, one of my male friends about like, how can girls dress to best help you? And I don't know, just, I, it was, it's hard to avoid those messages. <laughs> I, I was a believer, but, um, I, I, I address this in the book, um, this fear that I could inspire sin in someone else. And, and I, and I also am like careful, right? Because I, I think how we dress does matter uh, in general. I think it reflects how we feel about God. I think it reflects how we feel about ourselves and the respect that we have, right? Or do we want to just objectify ourselves because that's all we think we are is just the body, right? Um, so I think how we dress matters in general. There's a period after that. And also I think it's wrong to encourage modesty 
out of fear that you might do something to someone else. Um, and in the book, I talk about how that fear is wrong. And then I actually quote, um, there's a, a Christian writer named Rachel Held Evans. Have you yes, heard of her? Yes, she passed away, didn't she? I know, yeah. A couple years ago. Yes. I really loved her work. Oh, me too. I was so heartbroken. Um, but And she's young. And she's young. She left little kids. Um, I'm just so grateful for the work that she did. Um, she's Christian. Um, she wasn't Latter-day Saint, but um, I, I feel really connected to her. But um, she wrote this in a blog post, actually. I don't think that she included this in one of her books. But let's see here. I'm just going to read this. Um, I say, how others react to your body isn't your responsibility. Let me point out that nowhere in the scriptures does Christ tell women to cover up their bodies. He doesn't blame women for creating impure and uh, sorry, I'll try that again. He doesn't blame women for creating impure thoughts in the men around them. There are, however, multiple places where Jesus condemns objectifying and lusting after others. I like how Christian writer Rachel Held Evans said it. Notice Jesus doesn't say, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So ladies, be sure to dress more modestly. Instead, he says to the men, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. I, I love how she, I just, I tried to like, when I was writing it, I tried to paraphrase what she said. And I was like, no, I just have to include it. Um, because I, she just communicates that so powerfully that, um, you know, Christ wants us to get our hearts right. And that that should be the focus when we're talking about, um, when, when we're discussing um, creating pure thoughts or seeking after chastity. I think we all, we need to start with ourselves. Like we are the starting point, not other people, not blaming other people. I love that way to honor her and having her work part of your book. I wonder if people on the other side are aware of that. Yeah. It keeps her work and memory alive that mm. you as another um, LDS author and this She's a Christian author. I've taken her work. A question came to my mind. What about parents that are worried about it, opening curiosity up in their kids' mm. minds by talking about this? And they, their natural tendency, they want to, just like you want to keep the law of chastity as a youth, is one of my strategies is not to talk about this because I don't want to get them thinking about <laughs> it because then they're more likely to act out. Um, out of curiosity. So talk about your feelings on that. I would guess you've got some feelings on that. Yeah, I do. Um, I think that's a really, a really normal, um, a really normal concern for parents. And excuse me. Um, I could see myself like having that same concern too. Like we want, we want our children's lives to be as uncomplicated as possible. Um, and so we don't want to ever encourage our children to do something that could harm them. Um, something that's been really encouraging to me is seeing research that shows um, just the opposite. That when I thought you might have some of that. <laughs> uh, that, you know, when we're teaching our children about sexuality, actually um, children who receive a more comprehensive sex education versus like abstinence only, which I think is what most parents might have an inclination to do. Just like, just don't do it. Just don't think about it. Um, but a more comprehensive sex education um, leads to safer sexual practices a more delayed um, sexual initiation. So, I mean, this research wasn't done with Latter-day Saints, but just in the general population, like basically adolescents, teenagers, young adults are making better choices sexually when they have more education and more comprehensive education. I think I'd also like to point out like whether or not you are teaching your child explicitly about sex, they are learning about sex. So if you're not teaching them like a gospel-centered view of sexuality, um, they're going to get a non-gospel centered view of sexuality. So they're going to be hearing about, you know, hookups. They're going to be hearing about, um, you know, girls being objectified, probably boys being objectified too. Although I don't think that's quite as common, um, but it also is a reality. Um, they're going to be getting their sex education from movies and song lyrics and social media. Goodness, you know, like they are going to get it. So if you're worried about inspiring curiosity, um, I'd say 
maybe it's too late. <laughs> it's our, it's already there. And then also I'd say, um, and, and maybe this, maybe I should have started with this point that curiosity about sex is wonderful. Like they're curious about something that is God given, like shouldn't, we should celebrate that. And I think if, if we have that relationship with ourselves of like fear, if fear is our first response around sexuality, I think that's an opportunity that we can look at ourselves and say, Hmm, what work can I do here? So that this fear isn't the first thing I feel when I'm learning about sex or talking about it. That was terrific. I thought I just felt impressed to ask that question and you had a terrific answer. I love to use the word fear because I think fear, you know, and shame is two of Satan tools to keep us in authentic connection and keep us connected to God. And Mm. this is a beautiful space that you're talking about, writing about, and your clinical work is in. So I'm going to close unless there's anything else you've got in your mind. It's just fine. Listeners in the show notes will link, of course, to Bonnie Young's book. So you can get her book. We'll link also to Azure Consulting. I think you and your husband are co-owners of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I mentioned that Bonnie herself is not taking clients, but she's, there are a team of therapists there. So if you're looking for help in this space, that would be a place to check out. And Bonnie Young, thank you for being on the podcast and your work in our community and your tender heart. Um, kind of merge this tender pastoral heart with your deep understanding of the gospel and all this professional and clinical work that you've got in a much needed space. So thank you for what you're doing. It's really needed. And this is Richard Osler and Bonnie Young signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.